Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, <laughs> thinking that you're going to love her latest selection? And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that she suggested. That's us. Mm -hmm. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read, I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy rule. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep your elves in space operas. Okay, literally grounded in this book's case. Literally. Oh, good point. Thank you. Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read <laughs> she would never have picked up on her own. <laughs> Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? So Guess we'll see. We don't really have to do a spoiler <laughs> alert for ah, this one. I feel like we must. Not not this spoiler alert, but like spoiler alert. Beavers this, are awesome. This book is about beavers. <laughs> That's it. Well, That's a spoiler alert. I kind of feel like people would know from the title. Tell them the title. Which is Eager, The Surprising Secret Lives of Beavers and Why They Matter. By... That was very nicely done. You don't actually have the book in front of you. I don't. You got it like verbatim. By Ben Goldfarb. Because you know why? I'm a beaver believer. Okay. Well, I mean, if I could stop this podcast right now, I would because that, that hurts me a little bit. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So mm. the only spoiler alert mm. we have to do is to say get yourself out of your 12-year-old self and stop making beaver jokes in your head because that's what everybody does when you talk about this book. That There's a little snicker about sexual innu innuendo. Oh, yeah. No, I think you're older than me. That was not where I landed. <laughs> I was thinking about the very large rodent. <laughs> okay. Well. Also, the thing that got me, no one else can see this, but you can see the cover of the book. I can. So the font that they used yes. on the typeface makes the author's name look like Ben Gold Farrell. That's it, true. It doesn't look like a B. It looks like an L at the end. Yeah. So when I was trying to research him, I was like, why can't I find anything about Ben Goldfarl? <laughs> Who is this Ben Goldfarl? It's not. That's not his name. His name is Ben Goldfarb. And he's a terrific author. Okay. So tell me all yeah. the reasons you love the book. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going I'm I'm to be honest. I struggled a little bit with this one. Did you? Okay. So I love... The animal, the beaver, right? Okay. I, I think they are a fantastic creature in general. Okay. I was already sold on this concept. You were already a beaver believer. Right? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, so when you say that, yes. what I am hearing instead of beaver is beaver. Oh, mm -hmm. Justin. Got mm -hmm. it. Which yeah. is a fine just thing, but is not for, yes. not where you are. Not for me. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Not for me in particular. So I, I think this was a really interesting one. So you selected this book because of the orator. Yes. Not because of the topic or because of the author or <laughs> no. anything like that. You picked it because you liked the person who read the book. I kind of was stalking him. Just mildly. And yes. I was like, he was the uh, performer for this book. Mm -hmm. Let's read this book. It sounds like something I'd never read. I didn't listen. Right. I read it myself. Sure. And I will certainly share that I skimmed a couple of areas, but I read most of it. Right. And it is it's a little dense. Yes. Um, there's lots of place names and yes. people and process and things. And there are definitely chapters. Like there's a chapter about how destructive beavers are. Right. And there's one about a group of people that call themselves the beaver whisperers because they're trying to transfer <laughs> beavers to other areas. And there's, you know, these, all these discrete sections. But there's right. a lot of fairly dense classifying information in each chapter. I agree. And because I am already a beaver enthusiast... 
Um, I, I believe in the power of ecology and conservation. I was looking more for like the nuggets. Like you didn't have to sell me on it. <laughs> right. um, so I found myself getting kind of bored because yeah, of the, yeah. the density of the details. Okay. But there were a lot of things I did like. So one of the things I liked the most was not about the book itself, but about the relationship between the author and the book. Okay. So the author is a conservation ecologist journalist. Yes. Which, like, I didn't know that was a thing, but it's amazing. And when I started doing my research on him, I pulled up his website, and he had links to a bunch of his his articles. And, boy, I had some deep dives on those ones. He's committed that one. He yes. is. And, and he's – so I didn't check any of his research, mm-hmm. but holy smoke, it seems, like, hardcore. Like, he yes. he turned over every stone, as it were. And I had a much easier time with some of his articles mm. because even though there was, like, this this depth of information, I knew that I was only going to have to concentrate on it for, like, 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then I got to the end. I was like, oh, I feel so knowledgeable. Thank you, Ben Goldfarb. I love this. <laughs> and I think the book is similar to that. It was just a little, like, I, would, I should have chunked it out instead of trying to read it in two days like I normally do. Got it. So that's a me process problem. But I appreciate that. He, he has a master's in environmental management from Yale. Okay. And then he turned that into a journalism career to further his environmental conservation goals, which wow. I think is incredibly admirable. Yeah. Yeah. And he obviously loves the topic. Yeah. His next book comes out later this year and it was called Crossings: How Road Ecology is Shaping the Future of Our Planet. Mm. And boy, that's one I'm personally interested in. I told you on our last podcast I listened to a bunch of nature podcasts. Mm-hmm. And some are kind of conservation-based and some are more just general ecology. And a lot of them talk about how human development and human obstruction is breaking apart wildlife habitats. So, like, if you think about pumas or, like, cougars or whatever you call them in Florida, they still have plenty of land. But we have so many roads and human developments that they can't find other animals to procreate with. That's why they're they're dying out, among other things, roadkill being part of it. Right. Um, so I really appreciated kind of the, the the density of interest that he has in this topic. Yeah. And beavers as an animal are fascinating. They, they really are. So weird. They're so <laughs> weird. Did you look at any pictures when no. you were doing it? No, because okay. I was listening. And and Well, sure, but you could listen and also on your phone be like, whoa, what a huge rodent. See, but I listen while I'm doing things like gardening and mm. painting and okay. doing the dishes and cleaning bathrooms and stuff. So I'm not in a space where I'm likely to. And... Let me before I let you go any further. Mm-hmm. I fully agree with what you said about the density of the book, which is why I tried to tell you last time: just let it wash over you. Don't try to remember everything. Don't try to commit the stuff mm-hmm. to memory. Just go for big picture because it is. It's very dense. It. Yeah, I should have listened to yeah. it. So okay, so pictures. You were saying how weird beavers are, and asked well, me if I'd okay. seen pictures. So uh, <laughs> okay, close your eyes. Okay, <laughs> not that anyone can see you. Picture the the rodent creature, the beaver in your head. Yes. How large is it? Oh, see, because I <laughs> listened to this again. book, I know that it's big. They're huge. Yeah. Like, scary huge. So I've seen beavers like at the National Zoo right. and at a distance, but not anywhere close enough to me that I was like, oh, hey, you appear to be about the size of a cow's cat. They are not. They're huge. They're yeah. like a golden retriever. Yeah. They're 60 pounds. Yeah. And, and they're it, dense. Right? They are solidly muscled, waddling little thing, <laughs> like a hippo. They are not great on land. There's a lot of sway to the right. movements, but they're great right in water. 
And the thing it reminded me of was I had a colleague years and years and years ago whose child was fascinated by penguins. Mm -hmm. And so we would pull out picture books for kids. So like fairy penguins you find in New Zealand are like palm size. And macaroni penguins with the funny eyebrows are like maybe up to your calf. And the day her child learned that an emperor penguin was as tall as four feet, it just blew her mind. <laughs> she she just couldn't even – the penguin – her child at that point was like six or seven. Right. Was feet taller than her. <laughs> and the child was equally parts horrified and just enchanted. Like, right. how did a penguin get this big? What – what environmental factors created this giant human-sized penguin? And I feel the same way about the beaver. Like, why? Why are you not smaller? You're trying to build dams. Don't you want to, like, wiggle in between things? You need that muscle. And Ugh. one of the things that I loved about the book is, like a comedian, I'm, I'm not accusing Goldfarb of being a comedian, although I do think he's quite witty. <laughs> um, he would say something, and then he would pull it back five or six times in subsequent parts of the book, yeah. just to remind you. And one of the things that he asserted was that beavers are slow, smelly meat packages <laughs> because predators yeah. could just, yes. on, on land, could yep. just pick them off. Because... Yeah. <laughs> and so he, later in the book, would just be like, yeah, and the slow, smelly meat packages did X, Y, and Z. And I just thought that was a very whimsical way to write a book that's nonfiction and it's serious, right? It's It's got it's very sad serious. parts. Absolutely. And also hopeful parts. Yeah, it's hard to be entirely straight-faced when you're saying out loud the word meat package. Meat package. That's yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't like that one particularly <laughs> much. But, but yes, it is an animal that if you think about the parts of it, mm-hmm. this stocky body, mm-hmm. a flat, round, paddle-like tail that yep. looks kind of like, like a, a tennis racket, like right? a tennis racket, but all filled in. Yep. These, you know, rodents are. The reason a rodent is a rodent is because their front teeth, of which they should have two typically coming up and down, are always growing. Right. So they're always gnawing on things to, to, to burrow Keep down. Keep it in check. Their teeth are like orange. Yep. Which is gross. Mm, yes. Not not great. And they have that slick look yeah. like an otter does yeah. because they have the, the different layers of their pelt. They are not particularly visually appealing no. animals. But boy, are they built to do exactly what they need to do. They are well engineered. And... One of the best things I liked about this book was the reinforcement of the fact that conservation work really should not be focused on a specific species. It right. should be focused on either a community of interest or a type of environment. Right. And there was one phrase that they used in the book that I'm going to mispronounce in my apologies. It was called solophilia. S-O-L-I-P-H-I-L-I-A. No, you got it right. Solophilia. Solophilia, yep. which is the notion of a political commitment to saving the loved home environment. Yeah. So it made me think about the panda. Mm-hmm. Have we ever talked about the panda on this podcast? No, nope. probably not. We've never read a book about a panda. Um, pandas are not smart. No. They are not smart. Why would you say that I can only eat one thing? That is a dumb evolutionary, like, I have one food, that's the only thing I eat. Mm, kind of. So pandas are actually physically built to eat meat. So, like, they have incisors, they have their their intestinal system they could process meat okay and they have chosen to eat bamboo okay that is a choice that they made i don't know why and they have to eat so much of it to get the nutritional value (laughs) that they just kind of spend like 20 23 hours a day just hanging right and they have such a hard time procreating but they're so adorable (laughs) 
They're so cute. That's kind of all they got going for them. And I'm talking about the, the giant panda, not right. like the red panda or right. other ones like that. The giant panda. Or like the, um, not like a tunic or anything like that. But because the panda is so adorable mm-hmm. with its plumpness and the black and white color pattern and the squishes around the eyes that make them look sad, mm-hmm. but you want to hug them, you shouldn't. Don't hug a panda. They're bears. They're bears. They're, don't hug a panda. Don't hug any bear, generally speaking. But because people are so invested in the conservation of pandas, there are all of these other animals that ca- caught up in the tidal swell. Yep. So anything that lives in a bamboo forest is going to be protected the same way a panda is. Right. So uh, in one of the chapters, they were talking about how what a beaver does in part is it creates these series of swampy wetlands because they're blocking off water sources and they're backing it up so that you're retaining water and you're filtering out carbon. But it also, their little dams are so high up. They're like little volcanoes yep. that many other things take advantage of that that space. So right. you've got um, fish that use the underparts to get away from predators. You have minks and muskrats that live also inside the dams when beavers have abandoned them. And you have swans. Well, a that, lot of waterfowl. Exactly. That nest on top. Yep. But a swan is something it's that beautiful. people care about yep. because we've invested in this cultural idea that swans are about love. Right, right. And of course, you know, swan baby cygnets sit on their parents' backs when they're little. And so you've got a mama swan with like this cute little fuzzy baby. It's right, adorable. It's adorable. So if you want to save swan habitat, right. you need to save the beaver. Right. So the whole kind of wetland environment can get wrapped in. It's not really about conservation of one thing. Right. It's about reestablishment of environments that we have decimated right. through our development as humans. Absolutely. Yeah. And so one of the things I learned a lot, first of all, from this book because I literally knew nothing about the beaver other than, you know, what you just might pick up along yeah. the way. Yeah, we have um, them. Yeah, we have mm-hmm. them and they have teeth and, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, it, it didn't go real deep. My expertise was really not deep. But, but for example, I did not know, and I'm embarrassed about it, I didn't know that it was a sign of a really um, sick river or stream when the banks are really um, deep and it's incised, I guess. Um, yeah, a little cut under. Yeah. yeah. You're, it, it's supposed to be pretty flat, the banks, and they're supposed to um, get overrun by, you know, it's supposed to flood out mm-hmm. every once in a while. Um, that's the sign of a healthy river. Well, that's not what you think of when you mm-hmm. think of a river. And you think of, at least I did as a kid, that rivers are stationary. Yep. No, they're, they're moving all the time. It's yep. a moving target. And one of the things that I found fascinating about this, and he talks about it um, in fairly good detail, is that because of the weight of the water that beavers dam, it actually mushes water into an aquifer. Mm -hmm. And so the whole ground becomes more saturated and and the meadows become springy. Mm -hmm. And so you're not walking on hard earth, you're walking on a firm sponge. Mm And, you know, with a sponge, when it's dried out completely, it doesn't absorb water. But when it's still a little bit damp, it'll absorb the water yeah. on your countertop a whole lot more quickly, right? Or anywhere. It doesn't have to be on your countertop. Um, <laughs> so if you think about that as the earth, hello, that's both flood prevention mm-hmm. and water, water retention. Water retention. And so it's like a win-win. It's it, so. There was a whole chapter in there about California and how California <laughs> has handled beavers. And, you know, not I, well. I, I am a native of California, and I was not particularly proud of that particular moment. Right. But, yeah, there's so much that beavers do that if you look at it 
just straight on. It looks like it's damaged. Yeah. You're cutting down trees. You're creating this very untidy. I yes. love an English garden. Right, right, right. I love an English garden. I want to be able to walk out there and see my little signage like, this is where my time lives. This is where my oregano right. is. All the order. Yes. But that is not what a beaver does. Nope. And it's not what they're supposed to do. Nope. And um, there was an example, and I think it was bracketed at both ends of the books, about fly fishers. Mm -hmm. And if, I am not a, a fisher person, but if you were a fisher person and you go out fly fishing, you imagine someone in like waders. Right. And they've got a hat with right. lots of dangly fish flies. Sure. Sure. Fly fishing. Got it. Fly yeah. fish on that. Good job. And, you know, you swing your, your cast. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I'm, it's called I am casting. really not doing well. I've obviously not fished. <laughs> you swing your line into the water, but the water is rich and rumbling, and you're on the banks, right. and you know exactly where it's going to be every year. Right. And that is not what it used to look like. We have created this ecosystem that makes things orderly and tidy, and it means that we don't have as many wetlands, and we don't have as many bogs and marshes, and it doesn't support as much biodiversity. Right. So beavers are helping with sediment control right. because they press all that down. They're right. helping with aquifer retention so that you're not having as many drought years. They're helping with flood mitigation because you have places that it's pooling instead of immediately rushing down. Well, and yeah. the sediment, too, because the beavers slow down the rush of the water, mm -hmm. They actually build up the stream bed instead of cutting, cutting it into it. Yep. I mean, it's it's so beautiful beautiful in its simplicity yeah. and the obviousness. And as we're recording this, um, a bunch of states out west, California, Arizona, Nevada. Oops, I said Nevada. Nevada. I know. <laughs> you, I watched you flinch when I said that. Sorry. It was only a little bit. It was, it was there. Um, <laughs> Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming are trying to negotiate water rights to the Colorado River. Yes, they are. And Ben Goldfarb would be like, I got one word for you, chumps. Beavers. Beavers. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, the The other part that I wanted, that I thought would be important for us to touch on is why we have such a they talk about how the beaver population has rebounded yep. in America. Yep. But the reason it had to rebound was because of the fur trade. Yep. And how when, you know, Europeans were first settling over here, beaver seemed perfect. Sure. You know, it's a very dense, again, mm -hmm. fur pelt because it's supposed to retain, it's supposed to keep the beaver warm and keep the water off the skin. And so they would catch them and take those pelts and sell them back in Europe for hats and other things. And the beaver has been a really huge success story mm -hmm. for repopulation. Yep. That now they have repopulated so much that they're a pest species. Yeah. Not only for the gnawing that they do on things like electrical towers. Right. But for just general homeowners who don't want a beaver dam in their backyard because then it turns your backyard into a big wet squish. Right. And there's no yeah. good answer for that. Well, there are... Some good answers for it, there but they're not answers that humans necessarily want. That, yes, thank you. And um, and that's a shame because um, if you want the beautiful biodiversity, you got to take, you know, we, we have to be a little more forgiving. And there was a quote in here um, that was basically the resilience of nature. Well, I just think the resilience of nature is amazing, and this is a fabulous mm -hmm. example. Um, but the quote was something to the effect of, Sometimes all we have to do is ease up on the guns, traps, and poison, and species repopulate each other with a lot without a lot of intervention. Weird. Huh. We stop killing things, and look. They just pop back up. Well, <laughs> this book, so, you know, this was a history, kind of. Yes, it was. And a current recitation of what's going on with beavers. And it's kind of, it's not a call to action. It's not asking people to do something specific right. to support the beaver. Instead, it's just trying to educate. It's yeah. trying to make people aware that, you know, 
even if you're not thinking about beavers in specific, but if you're thinking about an animal yeah. and you think, well, like there's one in my backyard, it kind of irritates me. Okay, fine. That might be accurate. But we are not alone on this planet. Right. And we certainly wouldn't do very well alone on this planet. So we need to make some space right. for our animal friends and colleagues and make sure that they are able to do their own job really, really well. Uh, I think his ending sentence or chapter is called Let the Rodents Do Their Work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like most of us, you know, rodents is not like our favorite. They're fav- not so lovable. They're not our favorite right. unless you're a chinchilla maybe and then you're kind mm-hmm. of fuzzy. But they have so much to give that when we think about the things that we were trying to fix. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, you were talking about the Colorado uh, water crisis right. along the Colorado River. And I think about this past winter when we had so much snowfall yep. along the Sierra Nevadas and the Rocky Mountains. And now they're going to be dealing with probably flooding, flooding as all of that snow melt goes and there's not as much space for it to go into because we have taken away part of the natural ecosystem that would help us mitigate those highs and lows, the peaks right. and valleys. Right. So I, I, I'm i not going to go ask someone to put a beaver dam in my yard right. because I don't have a water source for them to hang out in, but right. I would give strong consideration to letting them hang out if they did come to visit. Yeah, and, and for the folks, like, he spends a lot of time in the book talking about ranchers yes. and because the water crisis out west mm-hmm. is ongoing, mm-hmm. and it's because we have done things to the rivers. And mm-hmm. and um, and so if you do have thousands of acres, which some of these ranches do, mm-hmm. it makes sense to invite 40 or 50 beavers. Mm-hmm. And when and he'll just give this um, uh, synopsis of one guy's adventures with a beaver <laughs> and or beaver families. Uh-huh. And um, his cattle were the only cattle that had water during no. droughts. And all because he didn't spend the time to trap and kill and remove these guys that already wanted to be there. Anyway, yeah. I think it was it was super inspiring to me. It was I thought it was really well written. Um, some of the quotes that I really enjoyed, um, Goldfarb says he talks about some of human progress and he calls them ecological injuries masquerading as progress. Mm-hmm. And that got me. Like I. I fully agreed. And he gets on a soapbox. I mean, this is totally a soapboxy book. Yes. But it still appealed to me um, yeah. because I think he still has a great sense of humor. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I wrote down that tickled me, he was talking about how um, in England they don't have a lot of biodiversity because of all of – like you just see sheep. I've been in Wales and Scotland mm-hmm. and it's all sheep. Well, it's not because the sheep started there. It's because <laughs> that's all that can be there because they've decimated the rest of the yeah. ecology. And um, he, so they're trying to reintroduce, I think it was voles. And so they're in a vole shack mm-hmm. and looking at these voles and he says, I appreciate a fine gastropod as much as the next guy, but the Serengeti, it ain't. <laughs> Just a funny, like, he, 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 I thought he took a very dense mm-hmm. subject matter and made it accessible and humorous. Yeah. Now, maybe not as accessible as you would like, but again, I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to remember the names and places. I yeah. was just, I just kind of getting the spirit. I got caught up in it for sure. sure. And my own process for this podcast, because I do it on a more condensed time frame, I don't think worked for me this time. Got it. Yes. But in general, topic was fascinating. Yeah. His writing style is really great. I just need to give myself space to do like a chapter <laughs> and then take a break. A chapter to, and do a break. Right. Because so much of his writing style as a journalist was very accessible. Yeah. Because yeah. it was in a more limited format. Yeah. Yeah. 
But overall, good book. Interesting thing. Yay! Well, one last thing that just shocked me, and I guess I shouldn't be shocked by it, but I was so disheartened by how much the wildlife departments did not know what the conservation folks in their own land were doing. And so they were hunting or allowing animals to be hunted that the conservationists were reintroducing into that same land. And so, like, the left hand doesn't know what the right is doing, and it just ends up being a lot of money and effort at at the expense of animals, you know, that are suffering. So. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that, that you note. didn't love it, but I'm I, I mean, I'm glad sol- you enjoyed solid it. B. Solid, solid B. Okay, I'll take yes. it. That's that's better than I usually get. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, and on that topic, let me tell you what we're reading next month. Please do. <laughs> okay, so on the plus side, I think you're going to like this because it's a short story. Mm. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm so, already happy about that. Yeah, this one uh, maybe a longer. It's about mm. 100, 150 pages, so it's short form, but it's not short. short. Novella. Novella. That's a good phrase. So next month, we are reading All Systems Read by Martha Wells. So this is a short story that launches her, okay, prepare yourself. Series. Series called The Murderbot Diaries. Oh, my God. It is so good. <laughs> so it's about a an android, mm-hmm. a sentient robot that becomes aware of itself. And it's a security robot that is helping a contingent of people, humans, as they are exploring a new planet and um, is very darkly funny. Hmm. And so, like, I'm not going to give it away. I'll wait till we get to the, the podcast. But is the dry, wry, sometimes inappropriately dark humor <laughs> from a robot that does not particularly like the humans around it, but has not committed to just wholesale slaughter yet. Yet, yeah, being yes. the operative word. Yet is the operative word. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm not sold yet. No, not yet. No, not yet. But you might be. It's It's got its shining moments. I will keep that in mind <laughs> when I'm listening. You should. Thank you. <laughs> Remember, it's a short story. There's a limited duration in making you read this one. That is that is a glorious thing. <laughs> thank you for joining us on your Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always th- grab these books and lots more at your local library. Join us next month when we will be reading All Systems Read by Martha Wells. Thank you and keep on reading.